luckily they were able to apprehend him because he had attacked three other people in that general area right before me. Wow. So two other men, a father and son, and then this other woman that was going to work. All the same morning? Yes. Wow. So the police were kind of on his trail, um, but he'd gone from the bottom of the park to the top of Union Square to where I was, but they were able to apprehend him. So, um, yeah, it was pretty shocking. But as I mentioned to you before we started this, the interview, in that moment, it became kind of clear what I was supposed to do. And I didn't really have to think about it. It was something that I'd been training this whole time. You know, I mentioned the FY 300, yeah, which is basically spending 10 minutes on an airdyne bike or an assault bike. And your goal is to get 300 calories mm-hmm. for ladies. It's 200 calories. Mm-hmm. Um, there's parts where you can't be freaked out. Mm-hmm. It's such a big effort that if you lose your focus, you're just not going to make it. Mm -hmm. And so I had trained myself between that and even kettlebells, you know, even your heart rate is accelerating and you feel a lot of muscular fatigue, but you have to modulate your breathing. You have to calm your mind. You have to do these things to complete the circuit. As silly as it sounds, it's just exercise, but I've been kind of gradually training myself to relax, breathe, and kind of hold fast during very stressful situations. Mm -hmm. So that was the reason why I was able to kind of outlast him Mm -hmm. because I didn't panic. Mm -hmm. But again, it wasn't really a conscious decision at that point. It was, it kind of hit this threshold of intensity and my body was like, okay, well, we have to ride this thing out, obviously. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) let's just see what we got. Yeah. So that, that was the real, that was kind of the most eye-opening part about it. Mm-hmm. that I'd conditioned myself to such a point that I was able to take him down. Welcome to This Thing Called Movement a podcast exploring the medium of movement and looking into how it has the capacity to transform not only our physical bodies, but potentially every other facet of our lives. I'm your host, Marie Janicek, a movement guide here to help people find their own unique and authentic relationship to movement through creativity, curiosity, and self-expression. Join me as I dive into deep conversations with a wide variety of individuals from many different fields and backgrounds. Together, we'll gain insight into their own unique movement experiences, the transformations that resulted, and how movement has affected their lives at large. I hope these recorded conversations will inspire and empower you to find your own unique movement journey in your life, in your own way. For 
today's episode, I've brought on Annie Vo as our guest. Annie is an incredibly well-respected and very well-seasoned fitness professional in the industry. She runs her own personal training business out of New York City and is also a master instructor for both RKC and PCC. In fact, for RKC, she is one of the senior master instructors. Now, in this conversation, Annie and I dug into so many different topics. Most notably, we began by discussing some of her history with movement and looked at the nuances of what kettlebell training really ignited within her and how that sparked her curiosity with movement in a unique way. And afterwards, we dove into a slightly non-traditional segue for this podcast where we looked into a recent experience she had and the unfortunate incident where she was attacked in Union Square by a random individual. And in our conversation, we dug a little deeper into the nuances of that experience, her relationship to it, and how much of her work with movement prepared her to be able to handle that situation appropriately to survive it. And finally, perhaps my favorite point that we got to expand upon was the concept that really everything in our lives comes at the cost of something. And how when we understand that everything is costing some amount of time, focus, energy, and awareness, when you begin to understand that relationship, it allows you to be better positioned to make choices from a stance that's more in accordance of what you want to be gaining. And it allows you a lot more flexibility with yourself in not trying to do everything at once. And aside from these main points, we talked about so much more and we got to laugh a lot together. Annie is such a joy to be around. So I'm gonna go ahead and let you guys tune into the rest of this conversation. In the meantime, just feel free to relax, sit back, and enjoy. Today we have Annie Vo with us, and Annie is an incredibly accomplished personal trainer. She's an educator in the fitness industry. She's also a previous gym owner, which is a whole nother can of worms to do, especially in this city. So Annie, why don't you go ahead and take it away and continue (laughs) the introduction of yourself with who you are, what you're doing right now, all that juicy stuff. We talked about this prior to starting the interview, but asking questions such as who are you uh, pretty much make my brain explode (laughs) there's so many ways that you could slice it so I will stick with I'm Annie Bo I live in Brooklyn now I'm a personal trainer as you mentioned a former gym owner I currently work with clients all over the city Brooklyn I teach kettlebells workshops for the RKC Mm -hmm. uh, which is a dragon door publications certification I also help instruct the uh, Progressive Calisthenics Certification, which is PCC, Mm -hmm. um, in the realm of Dragon Door. Um, Further, I just started graduate school, so I am halfway through my program. I'm studying experimental psychology. So I'm half student, half professional, full-time nerd. 
<laughs> Full-time nerd. <laughs> Definitely speaks to me as I wiggle my glasses here. Um, so why don't you go ahead and take us into what your movement journey has been? My movement journey? I was thinking about this, and I think I'm going to just be honest with you. <laughs> Versus lie. <laughs> well, you know, when you're telling, when one's telling a story, it's not that you're lying, but uh, some details get omitted or yeah, like kind of shaped totally, in a certain way. Totally. Um, but I got to be honest with you, I started movement. Well, okay. So I commuted everywhere on my bicycle as a kid, and that was just mm-hmm. how it went. Uh, I didn't treat it as a means of exercise or anything like that. It was purely commuting. Um, so that was prior to college. Mm. And then in college, I was on a full scholarship. You know, I come from kind of a humble background. So um, this amazing scholarship allowed me to go to college. Uh, what it afforded me was access to my classes, my dorm room, and the school gym, mm. a place that I had never gone before. But um, as you can imagine, being only limited to the classroom or your bedroom, it became a really great place to spend other time. So in that process of kind of hanging there, um, you know, I did a few lat pull downs and saw what people were doing and felt a kind of comfort in the gym. So when I graduated, you know, I was living in a hostel just trying to get back on my feet. I hadn't worked. um, So I thought, well, why don't I get a job at the gym? Because they have clean showers there. Mm. And then I'll be able to go on job interviews or do internships or whatever it is that I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time, I was thinking that I would be an attorney. I did my undergraduate degree in philosophy, and I remain passionate about the topic, so, so don't get me wrong. Uh, but I thought, okay, I really want to continue this, and maybe if I go to law school, I could work as a district attorney or somebody. You know, mm-hmm. I wanted to, I don't know, work in the most clearly you know, justice-based side of the law, if there is such one. Um, And so it was funny because I had this parallel of working at the district attorney's office and then working at the gym. Mm -hmm. And uh, over time, and let me not, you know, (laughs) alienate all of our uh, prosecutor pals that may be listening But at the gym, it became very clear that every day I was helping people. Mm. And at the courthouse, it became unclear. Wow. Um, It's funny. It's one of my favorite stories. But, you know, I came in with these, like, big ideas, and I really wanted to uh, do this job. And the first day of my uh, internship, the head prosecutor said, hey, just so you know, there is no justice. There's just us. Welcome. Oh, wow. And I thought, okay, this is interesting. So I went through that process. I realized that I enjoyed being a trainer and helping people. So that's really when I started my fitness movement experience in earnest. Mm. Because here I was now helping people get in good shape, but I hadn't really done it myself. So then I, you know, started to put myself through all of these things so that I could speak on the topic effectively. Mm. So... Um, since then, I've used my body to do lots of different things. Um, I still am not a professional athlete of any kind, but I found kettlebells kind of early on. Um, and that really excited me, you know, it was a a tool that I could do kind of well. (laughs) It was, it was shocking. 
Yeah. It was violent and explosive and well-organized. Yeah. Um, so it, it mimicked a lot of the training I had with music. So my first career in life was uh, being a classical bassist. Mm. Um, so once again, this is not a physical pursuit in, in the exercise domain, uh, but I really enjoyed the process of using my body to use this instrument. Mm. And it, in some ways it's very technical, but once you have these acquired skills, then you can manipulate things and make them your own and do these sorts of things. And I felt the same excitement with kettlebells. Mm. So that ended up becoming the cornerstone of my business and really kind of the basis for how I view pursuing physical things. Mm. That's really fascinating. You know, I also felt really drawn to kettlebells in a very different way because I came in to training to fix all my injuries from dance and, and also to support my dance career initially out of college. But uh, what was so fascinating about kettlebells is it was weights in motion, mm. whereas all the other more traditional forms of weight or like resistance training with like barbells or cables or dumbbells, it those felt kind of... Uh, boring to me by comparison because kettlebells, there's like the swinging, there's the arc, there's plyometrics. Um, and, and there's something about that that just reminded me so much of the things that I loved about dance, the whirling and the, uh-huh. you know, like the turning. And, and so maybe my body wasn't doing that, but to like feel that, feel that dynamic with a weight pulling me and having to manage that and, and to get that same sort of explosive, whipping uh, sensation in an entirely different context was really exciting to me. So mm-hmm. I love I love that you mentioned kettlebells because I think uh, most people I speak to know of them, don't know them well, and don't really get to experience the potential joy that is hidden in the medium there. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, it's a bit of an esoteric tool, but it's it's certainly worth pursuing the process of correcting your alignment or doing these kind of preliminary things, um, then learning the technique, then being able to do some of the more interesting things. Um, again, it's kind of like a, a dividing line in, in kind of what people are trying to do in their fitness mm-hmm. life, so to speak. I mean, for me, because I didn't have really a background in it, it really was for the purpose of just getting to know myself mm-hmm. and then kind of bonding with the process of learning these techniques and feeling really interesting things in your body because mm-hmm. I really kind of spend most of my life from the neck up. Um, so I, I really attach myself to the, the process of it. Yeah. But this is also why I love barbells. You mentioned barbells because you kind of have to come in with a certain baseline strength. Yes. Um, and <laughs> it's like you can't think it till you make it. You're either there or you're not. And it's, it's like a... I mean, there there is like a certain energy in barbells I love too where you have to... You have to show up for yourself in the way you, you <laughs> don't show up for anything else. It's like you just have to show up and you have to, we talked about this a little earlier, but mm-hmm. like make the decision. Yeah. Right. But again, you have to be, you know, aligned in a way that you won't hurt yourself. Yeah. You need to be kind of aware of how to access those muscles and the technique, etc. So I think it's actually kind of an advanced tool. So I think it's very interesting that the barbell often supersedes the kettlebell, mm-hmm. even though it seems like there's such a higher access point or, or it should become understood that way. You know, the smallest kettlebell is whatever, five, 10 pounds. Mm-hmm. Like just that fact alone makes that 
logically a more reasonable place to start yeah, than a 45-pound starting point, no matter what your fitness level is, no matter what your alignment is, no matter what your experience is. So I find that to be very curious. Not to mention the kettlebell, like the weight distribution is in this small like piece of equipment versus a barbell because it's it's like widely distributed. It, your body perceives it as far more than just the 45. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've never heard somebody phrase it that way, but like for me, that's right on the money. I don't really let anybody approach a barbell until like we are like very deep in the process of getting that yeah. internal body awareness and like that sense of what proper alignment is working with these really complex tools. And I have the feeling that they can sure that forward or maybe they don't like it yeah i know this is the uh, oblivious obvious you know we both have been doing this for a very long time um but there's a difference between what you the person marie is very passionate about Mm -hmm. and then the service that you provide for your clients and what they're passionate about and there's this kind of elegant intersection of what you observe that would be helpful for them and what they actually like Mm -hmm. and it's okay if they Mm -hmm. like certain things that maybe don't you know coincide with things that you like yeah you know yeah there could be kind of compromise of what they like and what would also benefit them that maybe isn't what wakes you up in the morning with rainbows shooting out of your (laughs) eyes you know (laughs) as the uh personal trainer you know so uh, that's something that i have to monitor on a regular basis so oh I'm gosh. projecting that onto you. No, I actually take love, it away. I love that you, I love that you brought that up because, yeah. like, to me, this is like one of the. You said, like, oh, maybe it's not something relevant for most people. It's, for me, it's the most relevant thing. And I actually notice a lot of people get confused when I come into a session and I've been working with someone maybe very early on in our process, and I say, well, what what would you like to do? Like what, what sounds exciting to you to learn or to be able to work towards? And a lot of times the response is, huh? Like there's like this confusion that as a professional, I'm asking for their opinion or their preference there. I think fitness has led people into this place of, and this is not all, but generally of like, you have to suffer through certain things to get the benefits, whether it's aesthetic whether it is health-related, you know, alignment, like, whatever. And to me, how you feel in the process is actually more important than the process itself. Because at this point, we have so many different options. For you to enjoy what you're doing or to have some, like, personal attachment to it far outweighs anything else because then you're committed. Then you're willing to show up for it. Then you're willing to stay consistent with it. And those are really the bar- the variables that are going to get you to where you want to be and to be able to expand your experience of yourself. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I think that was said really well. Thank you. <laughs> but it is very different. I yeah, feel like, you know, yeah. coming up in this uh, field, it very much was to your point, you know, you have to suffer through certain things. Um, and there remain some some disciplines and some groups that are like, it's all about the suffering first. And if you kind of wear that badge of honor, then you're in. Then it, yeah. it demonstrates something about your overall, I don't know, hardcoreness. Yeah. Or whatever. You're great as <laughs> but, a person. Right. You know, it kind of has these funnels. Um, I, I was listening to Terry Crews on Tim Ferriss recently. Mm-hmm. Um this is so meta talking about a podcast on a podcast. Um, and I didn't really know anything about him other than the, um, old spice commercials where mm-hmm. he's just 
hysterical. If you mm-hmm. haven't seen any of them, I strongly recommend. Oh, I see them all. <laughs> they're very silly, you know, over the top. Um, but he's he's a real human being, you know, and he basically just talked about this very difficult relationship he had with his father, um, kind of reconciling with his masculinity because he is a, a large individual. He's played these very macho sports. There's a kind of expectation and coming into adulthood and really kind of just having all these pieces, he realized that I, I'm now his publicist, his spokesperson. <laughs> but from what I got, uh, or the way that I interpreted it, was that he realized that the kind of pinnacle of his masculinity and adulthood and these wonderful things was his ability to be sensitive mm. and to not take all those hits and to be generous and to be loving. Uh, that was really as tough as he could ever be. Wow. You know? Wow. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I just was like, wow, that is so cool, Mm -hmm. you know, to come from someone like him that really on the surface looks like just the toughest guy you can imagine. Um, But I I think it's kind of the same thing in the training. Uh, Yes, of course, you should have challenges. You should have things that uh, confront you, that make you ask yourself some questions, that feel very Mm -hmm. um, dark or scary or this sort of thing. But I don't think that there's a huge benefit to living in that zone Mm, mm -hmm. or seeking that out for the sake of being in that zone. Yes. Yeah. It has its time and its place, right? Yeah. Like there's a, there's a spectrum of experience when it comes to being in our bodies and pushing ourselves or or choosing not to push ourselves. Right. Like again, going back to that choice of you have all these options and I think the context of it is really relevant and then your ability yeah. to make decisions within that context. Right. And having a goal in mind, you mm-hmm. know, kind of go back to um, one of my great mentors, Mark Dwight, who uh, former owner of the Jim Jones Enterprise. Um, you know, we worked with a lot of individuals that were in mountain climbing, for example. And I remember hearing those stories and I just, it blew my mind, you know, with most sports you can not to, not to pit it in some sort of ranking order, mm-hmm. but there is something different about playing a sport where you're in a controlled environment in many ways, mm-hmm. and then you can kind of stop and start as you need. Mm-hmm. And a lot of stuff can happen during the start periods. Don't get me wrong. But this notion that if you go up the mountain, you can't just stop. You yeah. like have to go back down. Yeah. Um, and you can't like call in more rations or you can't like in that case, taking a longer break might be worse for you because mm-hmm. the clock is always ticking. Yeah. You know, um, so the training, a lot of that training that would put you in a psychological state that would mimic that it's very painful and it's mm-hmm. very frightening, mm-hmm. but that's a sidestep from doing that for the sake of being in pain and scared. Yes. Yes. It's giving you an opportunity to actually train for the possibility that you go up a mountain Mm -hmm. and you want to get down, but you can't just stop. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, so it's a a small distinction, but I think it's a very important one. It's definitely very important. And actually, this leads me into wanting to uh, unpack something else, talking about, like, preparing for an experience you know, sometimes you have experiences that you are prepared for, and then sometimes experiences come in that you're not. And uh, you recently were the victim of a completely unexpected assault. Yes. And uh, I would 
love it if we could actually unpack a little bit more around that. So if you don't mind sharing what actually happened so our listeners know the full story, and then we'll go from there. Okay. Um, I mentioned I live in Brooklyn, and and when this happened, people said, oh, Brooklyn, of course. (laughs) This makes so much sense. So let me first start this off with it happened in Union Square in Manhattan. Um, I want to say at like 5.30 in the morning. So I generally start my days on the early side. Uh, It was a Friday, so there were a lot of people on the street. I got to tell you, a lot of people, the farmer's market was starting up. I did my kind of usual route, um, Mm -hmm. get a coffee, walk north down on the street. And this young man, pretty, uh, I mean, it's funny because in this moment, he put his arm around me as I was walking towards the gym. Mm -hmm. And he put his arm around me and he said, hey, can you help me? Mm. And I immediately um, was alarmed. I stepped out of his arm and continued walking. And I saw a McDonald's. I was like, okay, if I can just get in there, I'm going to duck in there as quickly Mm -hmm. as I can. Um, in that moment, when he put his arm around me, I looked at him, and I was really kind of surprised at how kind of well-kept he was. I mean, he had smooth skin, like, mm-hmm. younger than me, but not an 18-year-old. You know, just like mm-hmm. a, a kind of robust young man. It wasn't a disgusting person, or, you know, it wasn't, it was just kind of very surprising. And then, as I was approaching the McDonald's, there was a man standing in front, and we locked eyes. And then I saw his eyes widen, and then this arm went around my neck. So... Mm-hmm. He put one arm around my neck, um, and then his other arm kind of went around my, my bag because I had my, like, training stuff, and it kind of clipped my arms. Mm. So then we were in an official kind of struggle, you know. I I haven't been surprised like that. Although, to be clear, like, yeah. I've been in fights. You know, I grew up in Long Beach, California, so... I've been in fist fights, but yeah. usually it's the ones that you create yourself, like a dumbass. Um, but th- I've never really been attacked, you know, sober at going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that moment, um, I let out a big scream because that's what they tell you to do. And I just held on. Mm-hmm. So I have never really taken any kind of martial arts or anything like that. Um, but I do know that you one does not want to necessarily expose your neck any further you know, or try to open yourself up or let go of things or whatever. So I was just kind of holding on. And then after a little bit of a struggle, I could tell that he was kind of getting tired. So he kind of relaxed a little bit and then retighten his grip. And Mm -hmm. it went back and forth a few times. And then I just felt like, okay, I need to take this opportunity. I'm going to kind of squat down a little bit Mm -hmm. and throw my entire weight into this. Mm -hmm. So I took a deep breath. I kind of bent down a little bit, grabbed onto his arm the best I could, threw my whole weight back into him. So we both landed on the ground. Mm -hmm. And it stunned him. He didn't let go immediately. Mm -hmm. But then luckily people were coming and trying to, you know, get our attention and help out. So Mm -hmm. then he finally ran off. Um, Luckily, they were able to apprehend him because he had attacked three other people in that general area right before me. Wow. So two other men... Um, a father and son, and then this other woman that was going to work. So, oh, the same morning? Yes. Wow. So the police were kind of on his trail, um, but he'd gone from the bottom of the park to the top of Union Square to where I was, um, but they were able to apprehend him. So, um, yeah, it was pretty shocking. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I mentioned to you before we started this, the interview, 
in that moment, it became kind of clear um, what I was supposed to do. And I didn't really have to think about it. It was something that I'd been training this whole time. You know, uh, you know I mentioned the, the FY300. Yeah. Which is basically spending 10 minutes on an airdyne bike or an assault bike and your goal is to get 300 calories. Mm -hmm. For ladies, it's 200 calories. Mm -hmm. Um, There's parts where you can't be freaked out. Mm -hmm. It's such a big effort that if you lose your focus, you're just not going to make it. Mm -hmm. And so I had trained myself between that and even kettlebells. You know, even your heart rate is accelerating and you feel a lot of muscular fatigue but you have to modulate your breathing. You have to calm your mind. You have to do these things to complete the circuit. As silly as it sounds, it's just exercise. But I've been kind of gradually training myself to relax, breathe, and kind of hold fast during very stressful situations. Mm-hmm. So I, that was the reason why I was able to kind of outlast him mm-hmm. because I didn't panic. Mm-hmm. But again, it wasn't really a conscious decision at that point it was it kind of hit this threshold of intensity and my body was like okay well we have to ride this thing out obviously Mm -hmm. so (laughs) let's just see what we got yeah um so that that was the real uh that was kind of the most eye-opening part about it Mm -hmm. that i'd conditioned myself to such a point that i was able to take him down how many minutes were you in that, I'm sure time stood still, but do you, do you know like how long you were actually in this sort of like grapple Siri! Start the timer! Oh my God. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That was before I had an Apple Watch. <laughs> my gym boss wasn't available at the time. I mean, it felt like a very long time. It was a long enough time for people to make it from the bottom of the park to the top of the park. Okay. So, you know, it was enough time for the farmer's market to realize that something was happening. Okay. You know, so I don't know exactly how long it was. It felt like a long time. I'm not entirely sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'd like to think that it was long enough for the cops to catch up to him because once he fled, they picked him up almost immediately. Mm. Um, which they hadn't been able to do in the prior attacks. Yeah. So. Mm. I was I'm just sure. kind of curious. Um, this was the first thought that popped into my head as you were telling the story. Like, what did people do, right? Like, what was their reaction and what was their response in that situation? I'm so happy to hear that people were like, like came when they heard mm-hmm. and that they were already like in the vicinity trying to figure out how to intervene. Although I, I feel like they could have intervened more but I understand that's another thing I'm curious about like because I sometimes watch myself in these scenarios in New York and I've never seen somebody assaulted like that like the worst I've seen is some guy in the subway like bothering some girl you know and it's really interesting to see when the response is to shut off and like pretend that they're not there. Mm-hmm. And then um, when people actually rise up and like get in those people's faces. Sure. And I watch that and I always want to be somebody who can, you know, um, rise to the occasion and show up for somebody else as like the defense. And I never know how. And I, I know a lot of it is, is like, My parents did not raise me that way. I never really saw that in my childhood. And so for me to do it as an adult, like, 
it's for me it's probably the scariest thing is like how to insert myself into those situations that are dangerous but do not directly affect me right you know and I know it's something we need more of and that's something I think about all the time like how can I become the person who can do that well it's difficult to say right there's so many elements I mean I feel like in this day and age where everybody has a video recorder in their pocket, there's so many, and this kind of combined with outrage culture, it's, mm-hmm. you, most people will see this clip of a five second interaction and they're ready to descend on this poor person. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong. But mm-hmm. the fact that it can reach so many people in an instant, mm-hmm. that's one element that we all are aware of. Mm-hmm. Is this something that I would defend to the grave? Like, would, mm-hmm. is this something, this moment, something that I would be willing to lose my job over? You know, whatever. Yeah, and these yeah. are reasonable things. It's not selfish. It's not yeah. callous things. It really is. You know, if this is taken out of context, what can happen? Yeah. Then there's the actual threat aspect of it. Is this person, uh, are they carrying a weapon? Mm-hmm. I mean, how out there are they? Yeah. You know, the range is pretty broad. Yeah. So... Once again, I don't want to jump into something that I don't really know, you know. And then there's what if this is a domestic incident or what if this or that. And then there's the hope that someone else will do it. Yes. Yeah. And, I mean, I hate to say it, but there really is a a gender difference, you know. Uh, I'm not talking about our freedoms and things like that. Of course, we're free to do this or that. But if there's a large opposing person, male or female, it's not really a great idea to pursue that, I would think. Mm-hmm. So, yes, you know, I'm as strong as I can be for my size and this and that, but it's it's not going to be the same as, mm-hmm. you know, a large man who, you know, chemically and hormonally and evolutionarily is designed to dominate me. Yeah. It doesn't matter how much science I know. It doesn't matter, you know, how eloquent I can be. And I hate to say that because I don't want to imply that women aren't strong enough to take care of themselves or do these sorts of things. But we live in the world. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's just it's just a truth of biology. Right. And it doesn't it doesn't limit women in their capacity. right. Right. It's just like that. That actually used to be the marker for how civilizations were built, right? Mm-hmm. It was, like, on sure. the backs of men and, like, women, you know, like, right. took care of the family, ushered in the new generations. We're living in a beautiful time now where that is not the case, right? Where um, the dominance hierarchy, to quote my friend Matt Retallick, is no longer in the position of physicality and brute strength anymore. But it's confusing because there are still elements of our world that are ruled by that. Like, we still live in these bodies, you know? Yeah. I mean, again, of course, I want to champion myself as having survived and done the right things and been really strong and, you know, these sorts of things. But it does help that he did attack three other people, so Mm -hmm. he was probably more fatigued, uh, more stressed, more panicked. He probably was on drugs. He probably had a psychotic break. You know, he probably had these elements that don't make him as physically strong as someone who's in his late 20s, early 30s or whatever, in relatively good shape, who's a foot taller than me, Mm -hmm. would probably be. Yeah. I don't want to meet him sober in the cage. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's... Yeah. So, in the same breath, I I realized that there were a lot of factors that were on my side. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I... I just remember reading your post that morning and and just like being so in awe of how you spoke about it and 
And, and like what you mentioned, like there was some element where you felt like your whole life had been led up to being able to conquer this moment. Like all the, all the conditioning you put your body through had set you up to be able to tackle it. Like where you didn't even really have to think your body just went. Mm-hmm. And it's something so beautiful about that relationship with ourselves and our body. If we're willing to dive into and foster it, how it offers us so much like in the immediate gratification, even in like the time after, but even in a moment such mm-hmm. as this one. Which is, which is great because otherwise I've been training for no reason. <laughs> it legitimized all the silly stuff I've been doing. Uh, no, but it's it's easy, you know, in our field to kind of um, be kind of inundated with like I call them the body beautiful folks, and that's fine. It's a great pursuit. It looks great. We like that. Um, but I. That, 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 that kind of mentality doesn't necessarily appeal to me. It's not to say that we can't get in great shape and your aesthetic goals can't be met, mm-hmm. but that's not my primary focus mm-hmm. when I work with my clients, mm-hmm. um, even if it's their primary focus. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, fine, do the horsepower part for me, and then we can talk about the looks part of it. But that, you know, so in some ways I feel like kind of a, an outlier in our industry, mm-hmm. but it's for these reasons, you know, this event really, I don't know, just kind of made me feel like, okay, your approach to this isn't so wrong. <laughs> yeah. <and then laughs> but if it's just so stubborn and you insist on doing it your way, <laughs> there was a real chance that it would be outed as the wrong way. <laughs> but now yeah. it's like, no, okay, there's something to this. <laughs> it's good. It sounds rude. It sounds rude. So... Right now, um, what is your current relationship to your physicality and the movement practices you are engaging with? I know you're a grad student now, so that adds a lot more complexity. On top of that, you're running your training business. But um, when you are engaging in physical activity or movement, what are you moving towards and why? That's a great question. Because I don't know. No, I mean, look, I, I very much adhere to the belief, and I, I, I've experienced it myself. You know, everything costs something. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a, a grim way of describing it, but everything costs something. We have so many hours in the day that we can be focused, um, that we can be with people, you know, this sort of thing. So part of it is just your constitution. What what do you like spending your time doing? Mm-hmm. Um, what are you good at? These sorts of things. And that's a whole other discussion. But uh, now that I've shifted over and kind of putting the bulk of my creative thinking towards school, mm-hmm. I found that a lot of other things have suffered. I mean, suffer is a strong word, but I can't put myself in the same kind of mental intensity as I did before. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because as much as I talked about it and have talked about it and have always believed it and thought that I was living that way, since I've been in this industry, I have not made training or my physical life a lesser priority. Mm. Even when I owned my business, it was all piggyback on working out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a workout space. You're doing all your accounting in a gym. You know, mm-hmm. everything is based on this foundation of working out. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of eye-opening when I started it. It's funny how this is like the full circle Shakespearean tragedy thing, you know, I, the hubris <laughs> of being like, oh, why don't you just work out at this time or that? And yeah. I was talking to people that, you know, traveled for work and had three kids and these sorts of things. Um, but I was 
my business was in a gym, so it was very easy to do these workouts and be in that mindset and living it daily. Once I started to teach workshops and I was traveling, um, I didn't want to work out when I landed. Mm. You know, yeah. you get off a 13-hour flight to China, you're not really thinking, what kind of barbell complex can I do? Yeah, when's the next time I can get in the gym? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, I think even for the most diehard folks, you have to admit you're just in a different headspace. Your body's fatigued. You're um, navigating a new world, you know. Um, it's just a different headspace. So I had to kind of reframe it for myself. I was like, wow, I was kind of full of it, <laughs> you know? And, and it was it was difficult to take a look at that, you know? So best fitness, stay in one place, have a routine. That makes sense. If you're one of the individuals that travel a lot for work, I'm finding that I do that a lot more, or now that I'm in school, you have to make a deposit of some kind. Mm. The intensity of that deposit, that duration of that deposit, um, it's going to change, mm -hmm. and it has to change. Mm -hmm. If I was still doing the same, whatever, 90-minute, two-hour workouts with the same kind of mental intensity that I had been at that time, my schoolwork would suffer. Yeah. <laughs> it would just have to. Yeah. You know, so I'm choosing to have my schoolwork be uh, meaningful and uh, intense. Mm -hmm. So these days, I'm just making my deposit. So a lot of it is based on these kind of small chunks of effort. Mm -hmm. Small chunks being like 30 minutes, maybe an hour. Mm -hmm. And an hour always comes from correcting things that are screwed up by sitting at a desk. Mm -hmm. um, because I'm just not accustomed to it. So mm -hmm. yes, you know, sitting for long periods of time is not ideal, but that's the world we live in. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> that's, yeah. you know, don't, don't put me in the category of the folks that are like, you know, sitting is the new smoking and be on your feet to whatever. Like I actually don't concentrate that well at a stand up desk. I gotta yeah. be honest with you. Yeah. So it would be great. Doesn't work for me. Try to get up, whatever. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I don't get up. Sometimes mm -hmm. I need to be sitting, mm -hmm. sitting down. Um, so that hour of my workout, that 30 minutes is yeah, intense deadlifting or kettlebells or something. I'm breaking a sweat. I feel like I'm focused in my movement for a little bit. And then I have to stretch or foam mm -hmm. roll or do something that's a little bit like repairing. Yeah. And I try to do that pretty much every day since they're small chunks. Mm -hmm. um, and they're not so mentally, you know, taxing. Mm -hmm. Um and also kind of looking at the big picture that this is going to be for a short period of time. Mm -hmm. You know, all that effort doesn't go away. Yeah. Um, you just have to be thoughtful about the efforts that you do make. Yeah. You know, so that's been kind of a humbling experience um, because now I kind of get it. So my poor clients that are, <laughs> you know, that have been kind of holding to an unreasonable standard, <laughs> it's really helped me to connect with them a lot more and just people in general and kind of the greater arc of a life line. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember talking about this and I didn't, you know, people would say, Oh, look at these football guys. For example, they, they, they're in great shape. And now he has a gut or something. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, of course, yeah, you duh. know, <laughs> because you have these huge, huge expenditures and then you have to have this huge recovery, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I wish I thought of it. I didn't, but I do like the credit card analogy. You know, if you have like a, Capital One credit card with a three hundred dollar limit, you can spend it kind of fast, but you can build it back up pretty fast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you have an Amex Black, mm -hmm. the level of expenditure is really great, mm -hmm. but 
to put that $100,000 back in, it's going to take a little time. Yeah. It's not going to be one work shift, yeah. for example. So the more uh, intense or the higher the expenditure, whether it be a physical one, a mental one, uh, the other side has to be the same. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing this big kind of mental expenditure for a couple of years, and then the physical is going to kind of come down. Mm-hmm. But then when I have more bandwidth, then I can kind of bring it back up. That That's such a beautiful way to put that all together because I had a similar experience, but it wasn't in service of education, not at least like a formal grad program, but it was in cultivating my meditation practice. Sure. And I did the same, the similar thing. Actually, I went kind of to the extreme where I was realizing as long as I was trying to work out, I was never going to preference sitting down on my cushion to like put in the time to meditate because I would always choose moving over sitting. Sure. And uh, so I ended up taking that out of my routine entirely. Instead, I would just like stretch here and there. Like I walk all the time. But, like, I would maybe, like, do some form of physical activity once a week. And uh, it was incredible to witness that, like, my greatest fears in terms of what I thought were going to happen. Like, I was going to get fat. I was going to lose all my strength. I was, like, I was going to hate myself. Those things didn't happen. It sounds sounds so funny, but, like, I was hoping that you would say, so when it happened, I realized it was such a big deal. I think, think like, the worst thing that happened was, like, I lost my muscle tone, but, like, I was, I turned into kind of more skinny fat, which I don't even know if I was, but, like, I think um, the way, like, somebody described it to me was, like, oh, you're just softer now. I was, like, okay, I'm I'm just always, like, being the strong powerhouse. That's, like, what my identity is rooted in, but, like, I'm actually okay in this place. But when I started coming back, when I went through that cycle and I could then bring movement back into my life and training and, you know, all the stuff I used to do, that intensity, I was amazed at how quickly it came back. And, you know, on some level, I didn't even have to fight for it as hard as I did the first time, which I would have never expected. So it was such a pleasure to be able to, you know, take time away and move into another dimension of myself and then Mm -hmm. be able to come back and reconnect and actually deepen my own physical movement practices. I mean, some aspect of that is just the um, the practice that's been inherently instilled, right, in the mm-hmm. system, just mm-hmm. mechanically. Yeah. But I think there's something to that mental freshness that you can come back there and you're more engaged in many ways. You know, moving forward really is moving forward in all domains, even if the emphasis is kind of skewed towards one or the other. Mm. It just reminds me of one of my favorite tweets. I have two favorite tweets at this point that I saw. Okay. <laughs> But this one said, you know, there's a big difference between trying to get a 400-pound deadlift and trying to maintain a 400-pound deadlift. Ah, yeah. <laughs> Very true. And you can change that number, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> like 400, not quite there yet. <laughs> no, it's meaningful, you yeah, know, because yeah. when you're on, on the pursuit of something, um, it's a very different kind of energy expenditure. It's a different mentality. Oh. If you're kind of there... To your point, you kind of, you make these these little efforts, you're kind of stoking the fire, you're keeping it going, but it doesn't require that same kind of intense, you know, thoughtful, dedicated planning towards. Mm. So then when you came back to it, you're like, okay, everything was kind of in place already. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. is great because, you, you know, you're not trying to strike new ground that you had lost or something like that. You had yeah. already been there. Um, my other favorite tweet is the guy who invented toast. Somebody was offered 
a slice of bread, and he was like, put that back in the oven. Period. Unreal. <laughs> I agree. Whoever invented toast. I mean, oh, my this- gosh. <laughs> Blowing my mind right now. <laughs> uh, no, but so I, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a learning curve and just being gentle with myself and kind of just looking at the big picture um, and making higher expenditure. You know, I'm, I'm spending higher. Yeah. So it's going to take longer to recuperate it. Yeah. So I don't want to misunderstand that these lower kind of expenses that were easier to recuperate are somehow better. Well, and now your pursuit is less, you know, in the physical realm. And now it's in that direction you're taking with your education. So, yeah, like now your expenditure is shifted somewhere else. It can't right. all be here right now. So you're shifting yeah. gears. But as we've just proven, modus ponens, it will help my physical strength. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, I love that. Uh, this is actually a perfect lead in to one of my favorite questions okay. for on here, uh, which is what are some of the gifts movement has brought to you? Or what is your favorite gift that movement has brought to you? Well, it's funny because after all this, I would say the look of my body. <laughs> I'm so super deep. No, I'm not. See? The punchline. No, but truly, I mean, I always, I hadn't really thought about my physical looks or self and uh, I'm a bass player, so I'm usually in the back and we like that. And mm-hmm. um, So it was really nice to kind of be uh, in shape, you mm-hmm. know, and have that kind of confidence. Um, hopefully by now you know I like humor a great deal. Um, in school, I was picked on and I considered myself a pretty like homely gross person um so I have to chuckle to myself sometimes like when I go to these fitness conferences and I'm like ha 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 they think I'm one of them (laughs) this is fake (laughs) (laughs) but truly it it helped me kind of reshape my self-concept you know through the process of learning about what my body can do and, you know, obviously these kind of mental things that have happened, the question, the questions I've asked myself about whether I can do this or not, or whether I can physically do this or not, or whether I'm mentally choosing to do this or not. Um, it kind of surprised me. Uh, like there was a way for me to access these things that I actually really enjoy doing through a different vehicle. Mm-hmm. So rather than reading philosophy or playing music, this was another way to experience the world and learn about myself. Mm-hmm. So the product of that is looking like you're kind of in shape, yeah. <laughs> which is great because then I can masquerade and kind of be part of the other. Um, <laughs> well, it's so interesting, right? Because I think there's an important distinction in what you're pursuing when you're in a physical practice. And we've kind of touched on this a little bit before, but In my experience, both with myself and with clients and individuals, when you go in to to like be in pursuit of the skill or the experience itself or to see what you can do, like I want to I want to engage with the what versus I'm here to get that six pack. I'm here to lose three pounds. I'm here to fit into a size two or whatever it might be. Like sure. When you're focused on the aesthetic and you that is your driver 
it totally changes the experience. Mm -hmm. And I, for myself, always found that when I did not focus on the aesthetics, when I actually focused on the meat of what I was doing and the why and, like, the actual experience of that, then I would turn around and be like, yeah, like, I did this. But (laughs) for my initial entry point into fitness before I became a personal trainer was one of that aesthetically driven Mm -hmm. vantage point. And it was infuriating to be there because... I would flip-flop day by day. Sure. Some days I would walk in and be like, this is it. This is good. <laughs> and then I would be like, oh, my God, like, look at that. Look at that. And I would, I would be like, so it, it was just psychologically <laughs> such a burden to be in that place because sure. I just never felt okay. And, yeah. and I think it's interesting that your gift has been, you know, like feeling confident in your body and, and feeling good in it because you actually didn't go in pursuing that directly yeah no i mean yeah to your your point i mean that it's difficult because it's a moving target mm-hmm. you're starting with the aesthetic thing i mean there's all the physiological things like they, you're retaining water and tired and blah 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 these can have some profound effects especially when you've been looking at your own body for years and years and years yes. and years yes your eye becomes more refined mm-hmm. so it's kind of it, it just sets you up for a disaster because it's a constantly moving target. You're looking at it every day. If you're basing, you know, these kind of bigger things about yourself on it, it makes it very difficult to move forward, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. physically, emotionally, these sorts of things. So in a way, it, I think it's a huge gift that I didn't have that mm-hmm. going into it. So I'm really interested to see what can I do, you know? Okay, so I've agreed. We're not just a brain and a bat. Maybe. <laughs> Jury's still out. But, you know, maybe we can make these wheels, like, a little bit groovier. I don't know. Yeah, like, let's just yeah. see what we can do, yeah. you know. But the aesthetic part is nice. <laughs> yes. But that, that's that's kind of my point, is I think it should be just, like, the benefit of the practice. Um, there's something beautiful about when you go in for the experience and to see what you can actually make of it and the pursuit of that experience itself. Uh, And then when you come out and you look back and you see the aesthetic changes, my experience with it was the aesthetic changes were exactly what I had always been trying to get and even better than I imagined I could. Like it was just Mm -hmm. kind of like I felt good and at home in my body. I didn't feel the need to compare myself to other people. I was no longer trying to fit something. I just felt right in my body as me, which uh, I don't think I'd ever had a concept of beforehand. Mm -hmm. So that was really illuminating. That's huge. That's huge. Yeah. Just be like, this is Marie. This is my body. I feel great. I don't need to change it. But it was in the pursuit of that experience and just allowed my body to figure out how to do all these incredible things. Well, that's, you know, also, too, an important note that uh, your body's going to do a lot of things in this life. Actually, a dear friend of mine just had a baby, um, and, you know, her body has changed a lot. And it's interesting how much that process, I mean, obviously, it's a very natural thing. Like, we're kind of designed to do this. But when it happens, it's still like, (laughs) you know, your whole life, you know, it's natural and you've seen it and you have siblings you've seen it you know so it's so interesting how that when it happens to you you know it's so shocking it's like all of a sudden your head's been replaced with an alien's head or something Mm -hmm. where you're just like what is this i hate it you know whatever and 
it's a, just a reminder. Your body's going to do lots of things. Mm. And, you know, this huge, you know, this huge expense, this huge cost comes at a huge, you know, return period. Mm. But the fact that you can make that purchase, that's what we should be focusing on. Yeah, yeah. Your yeah. credit is so good that you oh, have wow. an FX black. Yes! <laughs> I love that. Let's analogy. not misunderstand. Yeah. $300 credit line is not better. Yeah. Unless you're rebuilding your credit, then it's, it's a great place to start. <laughs> <laughs> good. We but but you know what I mean? Just to like keep that on the forefront. Like, mm-hmm. of course, maybe this incarnation of your body is a strange one or mm-hmm. you're just like, whoa, I, you know, but it's temporary. It's really all temporary and there's mm-hmm. things that you can do. But the biggest thing that you could do for yourself is to just acknowledge that that's what's happening. Yes. And then you can start to make like, okay, I'll do more exercise, uh, you know, whatever it is that you need to do to make the physical match that goal, but understanding that timeline and understanding the big picture that it, it has to kind of, you know, this like recuperation period has to match the purchase. Yes. And to keep kind of going back to that. No, it's a brilliant analogy. And I think it really simplifies things for people to understand that like, that's actually the dynamic. Mm-hmm. And I love that you focused on the word temporary because it's yeah. one that we always forget when those shifts happen. Sure. And I know I do. I have to be like, Marie, you know the science, you teach people this, you paired it all day, like, now's the time to embody it, but, like, there is that moment of, like, Ugh! like, oh, no. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite <laughs> analogies, I, 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 I've got to find who, who told this to me, um, but it's still one of my favorites in terms of eating well. I'm not going to even say eating clean, mm. um, but often with diet, when people have these goals, um, They'll say, oh, I did this one thing that was bad, and then continue to do these bad things. So it's like if you're driving on the road and you get a flat tire, that'd be the equivalent of flattening the other tires. Mm. Rather than putting the donut on the car and just getting back on the road. Yeah, yeah. You know, you don't flatten the other tires, set it on fire, and say, you're a bad car. <laughs> you're, you were bad from the moment I bought you. Yeah. I knew it. Yeah. I knew it. if you can kind of get to a place where you're like okay so x it doesn't make sense for the goals that i'm doing but okay gotta get back on the road Mm -hmm. then i you know then the kind of net effect of that is going to help one see their goals but it's funny how the mind plays these tricks on ourselves because you know it's kind of silly to do the car analogy but it's kind of more clear that way it's exactly what most of us do when we decide that food has a good or bad value or something like that Mm -hmm. or many other aspects of our life yeah no I think that makes a lot of sense and it uh actually it's a perfect segue into wrapping things up here so all right I love to wrap things up with um a couple of options either allowing yourself to just share anything that's on your mind that's come up that maybe you didn't quite get to extrapolate as much or final words Mm -hmm. of wisdom for our listeners (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Once again, my brain wants to explode <laughs> so because much. the idea of sharing wisdom means that you know something more than someone else. Mm. And that's, mm. I don't know if that's exactly the place that I am at or where I want to be. Words so. of experience, relevant <laughs> experience, maybe relevant experience. Okay. Well, I encourage everybody to do something like this, whether it's a podcast or a meeting with a friend 
or reconnecting with an old colleague or just being open to meeting someone new because uh, the further and further along I go in this life, the more I realize that this is kind of all we have mm. is these connections that we make, person-to-person uh, uh, -person connection, sharing your experience, um, having someone share their experience, you know, the, the body comes and goes or the school comes mm -hmm. and goes or these sorts of things like that. It, it fills up our time, mm -hmm. but it doesn't necessarily fulfill our deepest needs yeah. and our deepest purpose. And uh, so I'm kind of in a sentimental mood because uh, the dean of my school just passed away in a kind of freak accident. Mm -hmm. He was leaving campus and got hit by a car. That's Peter Ahn from Columbia University, mm -hmm. um, an incredible human being who touched so many people's lives. And just like that, it just stopped. Mm -hmm. But his legacy is rich. And it just kind of, you know, re-reminded me of how important those things are. I haven't seen this man in years and years and years and years. Mm -hmm. But the time spent with this person mm -hmm. has profoundly changed my life. And so I hope that I can do the same to somebody. Yeah. You know? And I'm really open to having other people do that to me. Yeah. So that's my words of experience oh, and I sentimentality. Well, you know, I think it's something we're really starved for in this day and age where everything is electronic and, you know, like most interaction is happening through these other mediums. And, you know, it's like that strange juxtaposition where we're more connected than ever before, but everyone feels more so isolated. And I find the same that I'm trying uh, very vociferously to be adding more and more opportunities for actual authentic connection in person with real human beings in real time uh, versus relying on these other avenues which provide great uh, opportunity right but sure. I think I think I see them as like the way to get the like in the door towards the experience itself which is in person and in conversation and in community yeah agreed Wonderful. Well, thank you. Yes. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> person. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. I, I'm so honored that you came onto the podcast today. Thank you so Me much too. for taking the time and Absolutely. for sharing your experience My with pleasure. our listeners. And I can't wait to have you on again sometime soon. And if anybody wants to reach out to me, you can go to my website. It's anniebo.com. Um, I also am on Dragon Door as the RKC senior kettlebells instructor um, but i'd love to hear from you feedback about this podcast or if you have questions about kettlebells um or about long beach i don't know <laughs> about dean on anything uh, i'd love to hear from you wonderful and we'll be sure to include all that in the show notes so people can go directly to it okay very cool yay that's it it's a wrap cool Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode on this thing called movement. I'm your host, Marie Janicek. And if you're interested in connecting with me directly, you can find me on Facebook under the name Marie Janicek and on Instagram at Marie Janicek. If you enjoyed this episode, 
Don't forget to leave us a review and make sure to share with your friends and family. In the meantime, I can't wait to connect with you all next week when we bring on our next guest. Until then, make sure to get out there and move. <laughs>